If you did not know, um, Pastor Nick is almost legally blind. Uh, I am almost borderline that if I get pulled over and I don't have my contacts in, I can go to jail because I'm a liability. Um, like some of you are like me, the hardest thing in my driving test was not the RID test, but was the eye exam, right? Uh, y'all remember they used to sit down and put you in that bad boy? When a Kenneth was on, they'd let a dove go and you had to count how many doves there were, amen? Um, but you can remember how like when your vision has issues, it affects everything you do. Like Emily laughs at me, but if I I'm like Velma off Scooby-Doo. I mean, if I ain't got my glasses, I can't see nothing. Uh, like, I'll get up in the middle of the night, and it's just a, it's just literally Russian roulette where I'm going to go, right? I mean, I, I can't see nothing. I'm a huge liability. If I ever think, man, I wonder uh, what somebody looks like without my glasses, they look like a blur. I mean, I cannot see nothing. I have a personal big issue with my vision. Now, there are many of you, you're very blessed. You've got 20-20 vision. I want you to know that I don't like you. Um, you know, I just don't. I mean, it's, it's a shame that the Lord said, pow, pow, blah. This, right? Uh, like, I'm not a fan of yours. Patrick's one of those people. I remember being a kid and my mom bought us these glasses and mine were thicker than a snicker, amen? I mean, they were big, thick glasses in the 90s birth control city for days. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I literally was not getting a girl anytime soon. And I remember Pat was like, I'm not going to wear these stupid things, mom. He never wore his. He has perfect vision. I have handicapped vision. You take that for what you want to, amen? You take that for what you want to. But when you can't see... It leads you, it leaves you in literally a handicapped position. Where I have fear sometimes if something was to happen in the middle of the night, I, if I did not have my glasses, I would not be able to really get to where I need to go, do this thing. Of course, I'm exaggerating here. I can see enough to open doors and do other things like that. But you see here in the text that Jonah himself, guess what? He had a vision problem. He had a vision problem. He could not see what the Lord saw. And it handicapped him. It handicapped him. Why? Because you remember in the last chapter, we left off talking about how this great city had had a massive move of God. How Jonah had came into the city, he had preached eight words, he had said, you know, that the city is going to be overthrown, and we, we read the text last week where literally from the, the greatest to the least of them, they all repented, and guess what? God turned from the evil that he was going to send, right? God turned from judgment. God turned from what he was going to do. Not evil, judgment, right? That God turned from doing that because the people repented because God's good grace. Now you would think that if an evangelist, you would think that if a preacher, you would think that if a member in that church saw what was going on, they would be ecstatic. You'd be like, man, God heard our prayers. God answered it. But what do you see from the prophet of God? You see discontentment. You see anger. You see resentment. You see a man who has no vision. And you see this in the very first part of the text, because look what it says there. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not that I said this when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. See, Jonah's big problem was, point number one, he did not see God. He wasn't seeing God. You see, he knew about God's word, but he really did not know about God's heart. Because the reality is, when you read the text, how God reveals himself through progressive revelation, how God slowly but surely shows mankind the kind of God that he is, the only God that he is, amen, the only God that does exist, that God very slowly shows his people, guess what, I am very different than you think I am. Very different than you think I am. I love what he told Moses. Moses said, well, who are you? And he says, what I am, that I am. Which means, guess what? God doesn't change. That God is not like me and you. He didn't have good days or bad days. That God has grace days. 
That every day He's a gracious God. That every day He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And you get this even from the text in Exodus, which is what Jonah is quoting there. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 says like this, The Lord passed before him to Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, and who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. I'm not good at math, but I know for a fact 1,000 is bigger than three and four. That 1,000 generations is a whole lot bigger than three or four generations. And what does God say here? I long to be gracious and merciful and loving to thousands of generations. I long to be that God who wants to be gracious and loving to thousands, because that's who God is. It's His very character. But look what also is his character. He says, I'm not a God who overlooks. I'm not a God who's going to say, oh, just sweep it underneath the rug. No, God says what? I will by no means overlook the guilty. That if you're guilty, guess what God said? I'm going to pass judgment, and my judgment is going to be true. My judgment is going to be justice. Because we all agree as a society, when someone gets what they, with the punishment that fits the crime, we call that justice. We say that they broke the law, they deserve justice. And so God is a righteous judge who passes justice, who upholds it himself. But look what he says there. He says he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. You ever read that and think, man, it's the opposite of me. You ever read that and be like, I'm not, I'm not gracious. I'm quick to anger. And I hold grudges for thousands of generations. And I forgive maybe once in a while, generations, amen? Let me read the text and realize how different God is than me and you. How he is completely different and set apart. He's completely in his own field. He's in his own category. He's so different. You read this and you're reminded over and over again that God is on a different level than we are. We can't fathom how good he is. We can't fathom how gracious he is. We can't fathom how different he is. But the great thing about the Lord, church, is that he reveals himself to us. Do you think about that? That even the fact that you know about God is a gift of God. That God reveals himself to us. That God could have placed us on a spinning rock in the middle of the universes and guess what? Just set us afloat and not worry about us, not want a relationship with us. But that's not the, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of existence. The God that only exists, the only one true God, guess what? He longs to be with us. He longs to have a relationship with us. He longs to reveal himself to us and say, this is what I'm like. And so Jonah's biggest problem is, guess what? He didn't see God. Once again, he knew his word, but he did not know his heart. Because Jonah was angry because, guess what? He thought he was a better judge than God was. Now, before you really quickly write down your Bible and say, yeah, Jonah, you thought you were better, how often have you yourself Place yourself in the seat of judge, jury, and executor. How often have you watched a news story and said, yeah, they deserve that? How often have you read a Facebook post and in your head, whether you admit it or not, you wouldn't say it, you wouldn't put a post on it, your keyboard warrior friends didn't work, amen? But how many times have you looked at a brother or sister and passed judgment very quickly, thinking you were the seat of God himself, judge, jury, and executor? How many times have you seen God bless someone else and you thought you should have got that blessing? You have resentment because they got blessed and you didn't. 
Let me tell you what reveals your character more than people think it does. What makes you angry? What riles you up and makes you angry? It says a lot more about your character than you realize. It reveals some of the flaws in yourself, right? Maybe you're like Pastor Nick, where I think I'm having good days every now and then. I'm doing really good, love my wife well, using tenderly calming good words to her. I'm thinking like I'm on that bluey dad level, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm climbing up, I'm on that bandit level, you know what I mean? Some of y'all know what I'm saying? And then I'll have a moment where it just, I just ruin it. Where I just say things I know I shouldn't say, where as soon as it comes off my tongue, I know immediately I'm like, I thought I was doing so good. I thought I was doing so good. And it's in those moments, if I were to be truthfully honest with you, if I were to be truly vulnerable to you, it's in those moments that that's the real me. That's the sinner me trying to crawl out of the grave. And that's my flesh fighting with everything it has to be who I want to be in a sense. But the reality is it's oftentimes during those moments, I guess what, I haven't been the word like I should. It's often in those moments, guess what, I haven't prayed in a while. It's often in those moments, guess what, I became complacent in my relationship with the Lord and every relationship I have suffers because of my complacency of that one relationship. That's how it happens. Because it is a slow fade over time. Because Jonah wasn't seeing God. Once again, he did what God wanted him to do, but he didn't have the heart God wanted him to have. He had religion, religion but he didn't have relationship. See what I'm saying, church? He was going through the motions instead of really thinking about the moment. Think, what does this mean? He had lost sight of God. You see, it's only when we clearly see God, church, that we can clearly see ourselves. It's only when we clearly see God we can clearly see ourselves. Some of you don't agree with that. Thinking, I don't agree with that. When I'll prove it to you in the text. So look what Jonah does. Jonah says he went out to the city, to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under in the shade till he should see what would happen, what would become of the great city. You know what he was thinking? Maybe God changed his mind. Maybe his daggum Ninevites will quit, quit sackcloth and ashes. Maybe they'll start killing each other. And guess what? God will be like, pow! Lightning. He was thinking, I'm going to get my popcorn ready, baby. It's going to be a show. These Ninevites are not serious. I'm going to wait and see if God's going to show up and fry somebody. I'm going to wait and see what God's going to do. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it cover over Jonah that it might shade him for his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and it beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. It is better for me to die than to live. It is better for me to die than to live. I wonder how many times in our lives we try to save ourselves with our own hands. Because because Jonah did not see the Lord clearly, guess what? He didn't see himself clearly. Look what he tried to do. He tried to go out and save himself. He tried to make a booth for himself. He tried to make a fort out of you know, pillows in the, in the living room and call it a fort. Say, it's solid, baby. It's going to hold up. He looked like a kid playing kid games. Because he sets up this booth. He thought, I'm going to see what God's going to do. I'm going to see if God's going to rain down fire from heaven. And what does God do out of the tenderness, caring, lovingness of his character? God causes a plant to grow. 
That plant grows and shades him. And what does it say that Jonah does? Look at the text says. The text says what? And Jonah was glad. He was glad for the plant. Ah, some shade. Feels great. And it says the Lord the next day, though, what? Appointed a worm. The worm came and devoured the plant. Then God sent a wind. Like God always does. He's in control of everything in the fabric of our society. The wind blew, beat down on his head, and he became very hot and bothered. And sure enough, he said, well, I'd rather die. I would rather die. Because I want to remind you this. Me and you are helpless when it comes to saving ourselves in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You're helpless. Every person here, you are a recipient of the gracious gift of God's good grace. You're a recipient of it. Here's the thing. Every person, regardless if you're lost or saved, a member of the household of God or a member of the enemy's camp, guess what? You are a recipient of God's grace. Guess what? It doesn't matter if you're lost or saved. You can eat a fajita and be like, man, this fajita tastes great. You're a recipient of God's good grace. He gave you taste buds to be able to taste. You're a recipient, guess what? You get God's good grace by the very air you breathe in. Guess what? It's a gift of God. You get to breathe in. You're a recipient, guess what? If you were born here in the United States, you were a recipient of God's good grace. You ever thought about that? The things you did not control and you think you can't control things? You didn't control who you were born to. You didn't control the color of your skin. You didn't control the color of your hair. You don't control if you have hair or not. Some of y'all be faking, Amen. You don't control a lot of things. And it's all a gift of God's grace. But here's where we have the issue. Here's why I say seeing God helps us see ourselves clearly. It's because only when we see God clearly that we see how clearly we don't measure up. It's only when we gaze at the Lord do we truly see how depraved and deprived we really are as people and really understand the neediness we have for God in our lives. It's only when we see God. Well, how do you get that, Pastor? Like, you remember King, uh, when the year that King Uzziah died in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. And he has a vision of the Lord and the Lord's reigning on his throne and his whole robe fills the temple. You've heard it, right? In Isaiah chapter 6. And it says that when Isaiah looked at the Lord... He says what? Woe is my people. That's all he said. He didn't say, woe is my nation. That's all he said. He didn't say, woe is my neighbor. You know what he said? He said, woe is me. When he saw the Lord, he saw himself. Guys, because here's the thing. If you are pride or arrogant, that pretty much tells me you haven't been spending much time in the Word of God because this Word eradicates pride and arrogance and brings us to humble position to say, God, I need you. God, I need you because I'm not worthy. God, I need you because I'm, I'm undeserving. And so the more and more we need to understand that if someone becomes prideful and arrogant in the church, it reveals more about them than it think, they think it does. Why? Because it shows they're not looking at the Lord. Because it's only when we see the Lord we see ourselves clearly. It's only when we see the Lord we see ourselves clearly. And Jonah had lost sight of that. He had lost sight of the Lord. He had lost sight of himself. You see, here's the thing. We have no problems. Pay attention here. Look at me. Pay attention here. We have no problem being a recipient of God's grace, but we do have a problem being an instrument of God's grace. We have a problem receiving it. We have a major problem, though, with giving it. You see, we don't have a problem receiving gifts. 
From a very young age, you are told, guess what, if you be a good boy or girl, you will get a prize. And we have no problem seeing that. We do have a problem, though, from a very young age when somebody takes our good gift and gives it to somebody else. From the very first words you hear out of a child's mouth, mine. And they say it like that, and you're thinking, I bought everything on your body. That's not yours. And you want, to see a, you want to see my child, my sweet little baby girl, who you're thinking, she's so sweet and innocent. She'll turn in to a stage five cougar child, amen? Like, right, like, I mean, she'll get mad. And it has to do with one simple thing, food. You put a piece of food in front of her, and you think, you're done. You try to pull it, yeah! She'll get mad. Even the baby sign language gets ferocious. She's tapping Morse code over there real quick. My, 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 my. Uh, why? Because she even, she, she desires for her needs to get fed and felt more than anybody else's. Like she's never looked at me and said, here you go, daddy, you can have this. You don't have none on your plate. No, because she just thinks of herself. For the very fabric of her DNA, we come out of the womb selfish creatures. And I'm sad to say, but there are 30 and 40 and 50-year-olds who are still walking around with that selfish nature. And the problem is they don't realize it, but everybody else notices about them. Because why? They have no problem receiving God's good grace. They have no problem receiving God's good gifts. But they do have a problem of being an instrument of God's good grace. And this is what happened to Jonah. He received good God's good grace. Guess what? He was thankful for the shade. He was thankful that he didn't have to worry about getting hurt. He was thankful that God showed him grace and love when he didn't deserve it. But he was not thankful when the Ninevites just experienced the same thing. You see what God did there, church? He metaphorically showed Jonah that the very thing he was thankful for was the very thing he was holding back from his neighbor. Because Jonah's attitude, guess what, showed he did not deserve to get shade. He was a spoiled, rotten child. He was acting like a toddler. And guess what? God showed him love in spite of himself. In spite of himself. Because here's the big thing. If I could get you to understand this, it would change your entire spiritual walk. You did nothing to earn God's favor. Look at me. I know you hear me say that vocabulary-wise. You hear it roll off my tongue. You hear it go into your ears as English. And, oh, yeah, I agree with that. But I'm telling you, if we walked in it, if we walked in to understand you did nothing to gain God's favor, there's nothing you did. Like There's nothing like you're a good boy, a bad boy. No, there's nothing. God's favor and grace has everything to do with Him and nothing to do with you. But God lavishes it on you. And if you could ever understand that, it'll change the way you live. Because here's the, two di- here's the two ditches we find ourselves in in church culture. We find ourselves in even in liberalism, and not liberalism, we find ourselves in legalism, I should say, where we think all of a sudden, I've got to earn God's grace. I've got to earn it by the way I live. Legalism, legalism, I've got to make myself, I've got to discipline myself. And if I'm a good boy or girl, God will love me more, God will love me more. I've got to go to church, got to do this, and God will love me, God will love me, God will love me. That's one ditch, right? The other ditch, that's legalism. The other ditch is relativism, relativism, where you think it's all relative. I don't care how, God doesn't care how I live. I'll do what I want to do. God's going to love me no way, no how. It doesn't matter what I do. And we know that both those ditches are not found in the Word of God. We know that we've got to stay in the middle church. Well, listen to me. Pay attention, pay attention. It is because God has been gracious to me that I want to walk in His ways. Why? Because He's been so good. 
It's because he's been so good and he knows best that he changes me. Let me tell you, a faith that saves, that doesn't change, is not a faith that saves. A faith that saves you is also a faith that changes you. And it changes us from the inside out where, guess what? We want to obey the Lord. Why? Because he saved us. And we understand he knows best. Because you think about that with your own children. You want them to obey, not because the rod. You want them to obey because they understand and trust mom and dad knows what's best. And you want them to get, daddy loves you. Mommy loves you. That's why I don't want you to do it, because I love you and I care about you. But when we take our, God, our eyes off God, we, take our God, we, take, we, we quit seeing ourselves. And you know what happens? We quit, we quit seeing ourselves clearly. We start making up things for ourselves. I'm going to say that again. When we take our eyes off the Lord, guess what? We start making up our own things. You don't believe me? Well, this is my truth. Ever heard that before? Well, this is how I see it. This is what I think. People take this book. Well, this is how I interpret it. This is what I think. Let me remind you, we come to the Bible, it's not about what you think, it's not about what I think, it's about what God thinks. When we come to the text, it's not about how you feel, it's about what God has said. Because your feelings get you in a bad, bad shape. Really, really quickly. Sometimes you feel like doing a whole line of Oreos, amen? Then it's bad off. Sometimes you feel like sleeping in. Next thing you know, you roll over and you're sleeping way too long. Your feelings can get you in trouble very quickly. Because even our feelings, church, we have to bring underneath the authority of God's Word. Because we take our eyes off the Lord, we take our eyes off ourselves. We don't see ourselves clearly. Think about our culture. Doesn't that some of our culture, we're looking around, lost, as all get out, we don't know, we can't define what a man is, can't define what a woman is. We live in a day and age, you can't define what a child is. Heck, even this week, we couldn't even define what a balloon was. You laugh, and I'm telling you the truth, though, we are lost. And it's not because of political parties, because we took our eyes off the Lord. And we quit seeing ourselves. You know what happens? We quit seeing the Lord, we quit seeing ourselves. We stop seeing others. That's the progression here. We quit seeing the Lord, we quit seeing ourselves, and we quit seeing others. But look what Jonah says. God says to Jonah, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant from which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow when you came to being a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? In a city it perished in a night? I mean, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? God, once again, he says, hey, how are you going to pity the plant which you did nothing for and yet you're overlooking people? Now, what do I mean by this? I've said this over and over again in the series, but it is the gospel, it is the gospel truth. We live in a society where people in the church care more about our neighbor's property, care, no, care, care more about our neighbor's animals than we care about our neighbor's souls. We care more about things like that. And because we quit seeing our neighbors as Christ sees us. 
And we quit seeing them. We quit looking at them. How do I know we quit seeing them? We built prophecy fences. And now the only time we talk to our neighbors is when there's a dispute. Hey, you mowed on my lawn. See those four clippings? Those are mine. And at the end of the day, we quit seeing our neighbors as our friends and people deserving of God's grace, and we started seeing them as our enemies deserving of God's wrath. And we started going through our Facebook feed every morning thinking the same thing. They deserve it, they don't deserve it, they deserve it, they don't deserve it. And very, very quickly, you start wandering yourself into the lanes of you becoming God, judge, jury, and executor. You have a Jonah syndrome, I could even say where you care more about your neighbor's property than you care about your neighbor's eternity. Let me remind you this. People matter more than property. People matter more than treasure. People matter more than you can possibly imagine. How do people matter so much? Why should people matter so much to me and you? Because people matter that much to God. People matter that much to God. And we quit seeing others. We started seeing people as enemies, deserving of God's wrath and anger, instead of seeing people as recipient of God's good grace. And you know what really did it? What really pushed it over the edge was in our culture was COVID-19. COVID-19 was a very, very weird time. I know it was just a few years ago. It seems like it's 20 years ago. But it made your neighbor your enemy. You'd have people, hey, I don't want to be around you. No, don't come over. And I'm, I'm sure we all said things like that, thought things like that. It was very dangerous. You said you got the C word. They were like, <gasps> you clear a room, amen. Because our very neighbors became our enemies. And I hate to say it, but there are many times we've even gotten more into that than we think we did. We started treating people like they're the annoyance. Like, they don't matter. You don't believe me? When's the last time you went to a real store and looked at people in the eye and treated them like they're human? When's the last time you interacted with people and actually made them feel like they were an image bearer of Christ? Looked them in the eyes, looked at them and said, hey, are you okay? When's the last time you saw them not as a product you consume, but as a neighbor you're called to love? And it's easy to do. In our instant world, our instant pickup, our grocery pickup, it's empty to act like they're the enemy. All you introverts right now are thinking, he's going after us. I'm not going after you, amen. I'm here for you. But I'm telling you, we live in this culture, guys, where we are literally treating like they're the enemy. And the Bible says we have one enemy. It's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats. It's not the other nation. Like, no, they're our enemy. No, our enemy is the devil himself. That's our enemy. Everybody else, guess what? They're, they're, they're people we're, we're called to love. We're called to care for. Because at the end of the day, guess what? All of our neighbors, if they don't know Christ, they're spiritually blind. You know what doesn't surprise me when I see some of the filth I see on Facebook? It doesn't surprise me. I'm thinking, man, if I didn't have God's Spirit in me, if I wasn't called and redeemed and saved by God's good grace, I'd want to do that too. Act a fool, be dumb and wild. You know, I'd be thinking, man, that sounds pretty fun sometimes, right? 
It didn't surprise me when I get on my feed, see somebody, they're doing wild, crazy stuff. That didn't surprise me. What does surprise me, though, when I see somebody in the household of God doing those things. Because we expect lost people to act like lost people, but we should expect saved people to act like saved people. We should expect people who have a different daddy to act like they have a different daddy. But it didn't surprise me when I see things like that. Because we oftentimes forget that, guess what? They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know. They don't know. And when somebody doesn't know something, you know what you give them freely? You give them grace. Well, they should know better. You give them grace. You don't agree with me? Think about somebody in our society who, who they don't know what they don't know. What do you do? You give them grace. My mother, yesterday, she was trying to come down here in her truck, and she had too much air in her tire. She didn't know how to take care of her tire. God love her. Amen. You come to my house, sleep in my house, say, man, you're going to be a sermon illustration. That's how it works. She went to the gas station, and she, we weren't there. Me and Pat were trying to talk to her on the phone, and she eventually was like, she didn't know what the heck she was doing. She's like, I don't know how to get there out of the tire. We were thinking, it's the same way you put air in the tire. You've got to put your little needle right and let some out and do this or that. And she ended up going to the gas station. Guess what? She went in there, and she said, hey, I don't know. The clerk could look at her and be like, well, you bought the truck. You should take care of it. But then she showed her, showed her grace, went out there with her, helped her do it. Showed her love, showed her grace, showed her mercy, showed her compassion. Is that in her job description? It says on her sheet, hey, help people get air out of the tire. No, she went above and beyond. Why? Because she saw my mother not as a customer, but as an image bearer. Treat her like a person. We have to treat people like people, because people matter. And for some reason, we quit seeing people like they matter. I had a friend of mine the other day, He's going through a lot of things in his life, going through a lot of trouble, a lot of tribulations, a lot of stuff that you could arguably say it's been self-inflicting wounds. And you could tell by his whole posture, he was just defeated. Just headed down, shoulders slumping, set back in the chair. He just looked like he was just barely hanging on with a thread of life. And I said, hey, do you care just look at me? And our conversation went on for a little bit, and I said, are you okay? This grown man in his 30s looked at me and said, that's the first time somebody's asked me that in six months. First time somebody's asked me that in six months, all the stuff I've been going through. Now you think in your head how many people he's come in contact with in the past six months. He might be people are in his life, how many people are in his family, how many people are in his church, and nobody begged to even treat him like a person and look beyond the surface and say, hey, are you okay? And I would love to say I do that all the time. That's a great example of mine, but there was also many days where I quit treating people like that, and I just want to get through my life. There's been days where I treat people like they're a nuisance instead of a privilege. We just got to get through it. Got to get through it. But what if we slow things down, church, and really understand, hey, guess what? It's because I know God sees me, and I know God loves me, and God cares about me, that I need to start seeing people like God sees me and loving them and caring for them like God cares for me. 
Because you've been blessed, guess what? To be a blessing to people. Because I tell you what you need, like I need. You need LASIK. Amen. For years now, I've been on it after all it and on it and on it, saying, man, I need to get LASIK done. I talk to people. I'm like, hey, what do you think about LASIK? Every one of them tells me, best decision I ever made. Some of you, like me, you're wearing glasses. I see you. You've heard, you've, you've contemplated too. I, is it worth it? Should I go do it? Can I do it? I've even talked to my doctor about it. And he was like, well, you got to wait till you're 25. Now I'm 31. It's done came and passed, right? And over and over again, I keep talking. The commercials will be on TV, running a special. That one woman would be like, you come to me and you'll see clearly. And I talked to a guy the other day. He was like, you need to get it done. You need to get it done. I was like, oh, I'll keep putting it off. Keep putting it off. Because let me tell you, the only time it'll happen, which I don't even know if it will, I hope it will, is when my need for it becomes more than my want for it. When my need outgrows my want, then, man, I have to have it. It's, 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 I need it. I need it, in a sense. That'll be the only time I actually will do it. And sadly, you're like me. We don't do things we put off until we have to do it unless an emergency happens. You don't agree with me? I promise you, you've never lived long enough because it'll happen. You don't do it till you have to do it, and you keep putting it off. And I tell you what we need as a church. We need God to do spiritual LASIK surgery on us. It's going to be painful. It's going to be a little risky. But we need a third party to come in and give us the eyes of Christ to help us to see our community like God sees our community. We need God's help to see our neighbors like God sees our neighbors. You like, Pastor, how am I going to do that? Am I just going to try harder? In a way, but not really? Because the only way I can love my neighbor, the only way I can love my neighbor as I, as I love myself is through the power of the God Spirit. I can't do it. The only way I can be a good husband is not by reading a book. I wish it was that easy, y'all. By God's Spirit, guess what? Working in my life to make me a better husband. The only way I can be a better father, not watching Bluey. Been doing it for years. No, the only way I can is, guess what? God's Spirit working in my life. Changing me from the inside out. Because we as the people of God, guess what? We have to really behold God in such a way where when we look at Him, it changes how we see ourselves. And then on top of that, guess what? It changes how we see others. Because you know what I know about Grand Rivers, you know what I know about Smithland, you know what I know about Benton, you know what I know about Calvert City, you know what I know about Paducah, where we live. The fields are white. The harvest is plentiful. There are people who are lost and desperate in need of a Savior. You might think they all go to church. They don't. You might think... You might think they all have a relationship with the Lord. They don't. But you know what I know from the story of Jonah, what God is doing in our lives? God is sending me and you to go. To go to the school. To go to the plant. To go to the company. To go to the bank. To go to wherever you're working at. Guess what? For you to take the gospel to that place and say, I'm here to be a light and love people well and to share the good news of Christ. 
No, they could just be a good person. Let me remind you of this. If you could simply be a good person and win people to Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have talked. But the gospel is words. We have to tell people about Christ. So I want to encourage you, don't do what I've done for years now and keep putting it off. Keep putting it off. Keep putting it off. I'll get LASIK someday, someday, someday. I want to encourage you to come up here and say, God, I need you to give me new eyes. God, give me new eyes to see you. Give me new eyes to see myself. And because you gave me new eyes to see you, because you've given me new eyes to see myself, give me new eyes to see other people. Because where would you be if it wasn't for the grace of God? Where would you be if it wasn't for the love of God? Your neighbor in the bad shape they're in, that's where you'd be. If somebody hadn't told you about Jesus. So won't you keep the chain going? And why don't you start seeing people like God sees you? Won't you come?